The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, we are opening up this morning to Genesis 48. We are skipping ahead a bit. Uh, Genesis 48. Uh, we have been looking at the story of Jacob, but really the story of Isaac and Jacob, the second and third generation patriarchs in Genesis. And by going all the way to Genesis 48 this morning, uh, we are actually fast-forwarding all the way to the end of Jacob's life and skipping over the entirety of the portion of Genesis that is focused on Jacob's son, Joseph, and the narrative of how uh, the Jewish people, the family of Abraham, end up in Egypt and eventually, uh, down the line, become enslaved in Egypt and onward into the story of the book of Exodus. But we're skipping over that portion of Genesis that addresses how all of that happens with Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers and going down and protecting them in Egypt by supplying them during a famine, skipping all the way to the end of Jacob's life here in Genesis 48. As again, I say, uh, we are concluding this morning our sermon series, Generations of Grace, that we've been in now for, for some time. So, if you've got your Bible open in Genesis 48, uh, let us pray together and ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures. Oh God, as we worship you as a people, we know that here you meet with us, and that especially it is here in the Scriptures that you speak to us. Now Lord, we know that you reveal yourself generally in creation, that we could uh, look, look to the created order, look to the skies, look to the beauty of the earth and the heavens and conclude that there is a creator, uh, but unless you tell us what your name is, we can't know who that creator is. And so we thank you that in addition to your general revelation and creation, you give to us the special revelation of your word where you speak to us the word of truth, the word of life. And so, Father, as you have spoken to us over these many weeks and months in the book of Genesis, we pray, Lord, continue to do so that we may see in your word the truth of life and the person of Jesus Christ and the story of his salvation that's told from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. So come now, Lord, in the preaching of your word by your spirit to bless your people as we both sit under the authority of the word and have that word sealed to our hearts by way of promise and faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of God. Genesis 48, Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. This is the word of God. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. 
and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh, then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So may he write truth in our hearts. And keep your Bible open there in Genesis 48. And if you'd also like to know ahead of time, we'll be turning to Deuteronomy chapter 7 as well. So if you wanted to put something in Deuteronomy 7 for quick access later on, uh, we'll, we'll end up uh, there. Well, as I said, this is the conclusion now of our series as we've been focusing on these second and third generation patriarchs, uh, Isaac and Jacob. And as it relates to this, I want to say now that I have been teaching communicants class uh, in this congregation long enough now, I think I'll be a- approaching a fourth or fifth rotation coming up this fall, Lord willing, that I have developed in the curriculum that I use a favorite chapter and a favorite question in a favorite chapter of my communicants class workbook. And my favorite question in the favorite chapter of the communicants class workbook that the junior high students use is a question about how the story of God's salvation moves through the Bible to transition from 
the family of Abraham, to the nation of Israel, to the kingdom of Jesus. How the story goes from the family of Abraham, to the nation of Israel, to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's my favorite question in the entire Communicants class workbook because it unpacks the fact that the story of God's salvation from beginning to end is a story of family history. So that as you're approaching the pages, especially the Old Testament, especially books like Genesis, when you see all these names coming at you seemingly thousands of miles an hour and they blow past you and you go, what was all of that about? It's all about how God is working out his plan of salvation as it begins in a family history, moving to a nation's history, moving to a kingdom's history. And where we find ourselves today is just at that point of transition where the story of God's salvation is transitioning from the story of one particular family to the creation of a nation of peoples. And that is significant. What we find here now in Genesis 48 is Jacob, who we've come to know over these weeks and months, he's now something like 147 years old. And he only now seems to be living in some state of reconciliation with all the members of his family. And the child, who is Jacob's favorite child, by his favored wife, his son Joseph, by his wife Rachel, uh, is now before him. Joseph is before Jacob, and a lot has happened in Joseph's life before this point. Just to summarize, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers because of their jealousy against him, because again, Joseph is Jacob's favorite, and the rest of the brothers know that, and so they sell him into slavery, and Jacob thinks that his favorite son has died. Unbeknownst to him, Joseph is taken all the way down into Egypt and goes from being essentially a slave and servant in the household of the rulers of Egypt to essentially rising to prominence to be national number two, something like the prime minister of Egypt, and delivering the people both of Egypt from a drought and from a famine, and then eventually rescuing even the entire region from this season of famine, saving even his own family to provide them food as they come down from the Israelite region down into Egypt, and all the while his family doesn't know that it's their brother that is responsible for saving them. All of that happens before this episode. So anything you know about Joseph is included before this point. That's essentially Genesis 37 through the end of Genesis. But now, after that has happened, Joseph has gone down, has all kind of success and prominence in Egypt. He's even begun his own family. And his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are now before their grandfather, who we know as Jacob, seemingly for the first time. And what Jacob is going to do now in this moment of generational transaction, generational change, is that Jacob is going to spiritually and covenantally, in a sense, adopt his grandchildren as he blesses them. Now, I want you to think for a moment, perhaps, about your family and key, pivotal family moments of family history that mark for you changing epics or changing seasons. Maybe when your grandparents passed away or your parents passed away and a new era of your family history is ushered in at that major epic. Oftentimes those events 
are marked in our memories with these indelible marks to say, this is who our family was before that event. This is who our family was after that event. We're still the same family, but things have changed here in some perhaps positive or negative way. Major family moments. Well, this is that major family moment for the family of God. So for all of the significance that you import to your family moment, realize that that's what's happening here in this family moment. And at this moment, oftentimes there are details that stick in our minds. Maybe in your memories, you remember what your father or your mother was wearing when they had this or that conversation with you. Or you can remember the smell of your grandmother's house as if you can walk back in and in your mind's eye go back there and smell the smells and feel the warmth and feel the hospitality. There's all sorts of sensory moments that kick in to remind us of those memories of significant family transitions. You know exactly what I mean. So what are some key sensory things to pick up on in this text? I want you to notice two of them. The first one is Jacob's eyes. Do you remember what it was like looking into the eyes of your parents, your grandparents? Maybe can you see their eyes looking at you? Genesis 48, verse 1. The children are told, Behold, your father is ill. Joseph is told, Behold, your father is ill. Jacob is an old man now. So old, in fact, that Genesis 48, verse 2 says that Jacob has to summon strength just to sit up in bed. He's bedridden. If they want to see Grandpa... They've got to go to his bedside, and Jacob can summon just enough strength to sit up in bed. Verse 10 says, his eyes were dim with age, so that he could not see. Jacob is essentially blinded now. And you remember with Jacob's father Isaac, Isaac had his own poor eyesight, didn't he? You may be wondering uh, if the family of the patriarchs, for all of their blessings, was not blessed with great eyesight, because everybody seems to have failing eyes. But I know many people who say, after visiting the doctor, and you say to them, What's wrong with you? They just say, I'm old. That's what's wrong with me. I'm old. I'm getting old. Well, you can forgive the fact that Jacob is 147 years old, and so his eyes don't work anymore. Forgive the man, would you? He can't see. Rather than assume the eyesight was some sort of genetic issue, for heaven's sake, Jacob's old. But do you remember... Do you remember something like a biblical century ago, a story that began a tangled web of Jacob's life where Jacob encountered his father Isaac and his poor eyesight, pretending to be his brother Esau to take from Esau the blessing. Jacob stole it for himself. It was Isaac's intent to bless Esau, but by Jacob's deceit and also, of course, the providence of God who makes our crooked lines straight the younger son, Jacob, ends up being blessed by Isaac. That was all the way back in Genesis 27. Again, a biblical century ago, but it is the story of Jacob's life. Jacob, the third generation of patriarchs, with all of his twisting and scheming, is the man that God has delivered from all of his short circuits, shortcuts, dead ends, missteps, and disobediences. God has faithfully delivered him and straightened him out in the process. Jacob is something of a crooked man, but God straightens him out so that Jacob, the twister, is now known as Israel, the man who has seen God. And now that man, Jacob, who wrestled with God, is bedridden, 
And the man who met with God face to face can't see it all anymore. That Jacob. Look at his eyes. His dim eyes. And then secondly, look at his hands. I know a lot of people who say, I remember my grandfather's hands. Look at Jacob's hands in the text. There is a significant point of interest. What Jacob does in placing his hands upon his grandsons is significant. Now listen, your hands are significant too. You've had these hands your whole life. You came from your mother's womb with these hands. Every act that you have ever done has been with those hands. Acts of generosity and acts of taking away, deceit. Every giving and every taking away has been done with these hands. Every act of righteousness, every act of disobedience. And likewise, think about Jacob's hands. Think about the life that Jacob has lived with his hands when we read from the very beginning that Jacob literally emerges from the womb of his mother Rebekah clinging to the heel of his brother Esau as if to say, no, 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 my older twin brother, me first. Jacob is called heel grabber because he is born with his hand on his twin brother's heel. This is the same man with the same hands who disguised his hands and disguised his arms to the dimly lit vision of Isaac so that he could pretend to be Esau, pretend to be hairy like Esau was, and take the blessing that Isaac intended for Esau. Uh, Jacob steals it by way of covering up his hands. These are hands that embraced his mother Rebekah that he would never see again when he flees his father's household in fear of his brother seeking to kill him. These are the same hands of Jacob that worked hard labor for 14 years to marry Rachel in Laban's homeland. These are the hands that the man of God wrestled God with. These are the hands that built altars to God and worshipped Him there. These are the hands that embraced the dead body of his wife Rachel and then the child that she bore and dying giving birth to the child Benjamin. These are the hands of Jacob that gives to Joseph a coat of many colors that seals the jealousy of his brothers against him, motivating their desire to be rid of Joseph. Those are the hands of Jacob that holds that same beloved garment now stained with blood where he fears Joseph to be dead, which is why he says in verse 11, I never expected to see your face again. I thought you were dead. And these are the hands of Jacob, the patriarch, that are now stretched forth to the heads of his two grandsons. Jacob, who has known great blessing, now intends to pass on the blessing of God by way of his hands placed upon the heads of his grandchildren. Do you ever put your hands on the head of your loved ones, especially younger generations, your nieces, your nephews, your children, your grandchildren. You ever just set your hands there? Biblically, it's a sign of blessing. And you know, when we think about blessing, we're oftentimes using the term in a very trite and passing ways. We say, oh, hashtag blessed and all the rest. I'm so blessed. And we joke, for example, like a couple of weeks ago, we were in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and they accidentally gave us the wrong bag of food and they can't take it back, so we got double the amount of food. It was a blessing, right? But that's a trite way of thinking about blessing. In the Bible, 
when the hand of blessing is extended, just like, for example, when the high priest would come out of the sacrifice to hold his hands up to the people of God and say, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, he raised his hands in an act of blessing, which is why I raise my hands in an act of benediction, because the hands symbolize biblically the act of the blessing of God coming upon the people of God. And so too now Jacob, the hands that have been the hands of the twister and the deceiver are the hands now of Israel, the man of God, set now to bless the next generation. Jacob's eyes, Jacob's hands, and now see this great pivotal family moment. Jacob's blessing. Jacob brings the two boys in from Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Joseph sets them before his father, Jacob. Now Jacob uh, is there in bed, of course, and Joseph, the son, has brought his sons before his father in such a way that he has arranged that his older son, Manasseh, stood at Jacob's right hand, and Ephraim, the younger son, stood at the left hand. Because it is the right hand that is the place of prominence in the giving of a blessing. And by way of the birth order, Joseph knew that his older son, Manasseh, is right to receive the older son's blessing. And so he sets him up at his father's right hand, intending for his older son, Manasseh, to receive the blessing when Jacob... This is biblically very dramatic, but in our culture, we just read, read it over. Jacob crosses hands, etc. no. But when Jacob stretched out his hands to the children and then to cross them was so significant because it changes the cultural perception of who would receive the greater blessing such so that Joseph even protests to say, no, dad, not like that. But Jacob knows exactly what he is doing because this is exactly what happened to him. Jacob the younger of the two to his brother Esau, and yet the younger one received the greater blessing, so too now Jacob in dramatic fashion stretches out his hands and yet crosses them to bless Ephraim the younger with the greater blessing. And that all means that birth order does not determine God's purposes and plans. But still, the blessing is for both boys. It's not the case that one is blessed to a much greater degree, but just that one receives the blessing in a birth order of prominence separate from what he actually does. So notice what happens. The blessing that Jacob gives is for both boys. It's there in verses 15 and 16. Notice the details there in verse 15 and 16. As Jacob says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. This is, this is that pivotal moment. This is the pivotal moment of generational transition where Joseph would always remember the look in his father's eyes the looks on his father's hands, and Ephraim and Manasseh, who are probably somewhere in the region of 20 years old, much old enough to remember this, would always remember this key moment. As Jacob says to them, first of all, it's a description of God's care 
for the family of God. The God before whom my fathers walked, Jacob says. The God of my grandfather Abraham. The God of my father Isaac. The same God who has walked with the generations of my family now walk with you, my grandsons. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. That is that Jacob knows himself to be a recipient of God's shepherding care using the words of many generations later from David in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It is a picture of intimate care. The intimate care of the shepherd and the intimate care of the sheep who receives from the shepherd loving protection and provision. The Lord God who has been my shepherd all my life long, who has protected me from evil, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. He's referencing the fact that I wrestled with an angel of the Lord uh, who we have always understood to be a pre-incarnate Christ. Jacob says, I have known this God. I have known this angel of the Lord and he has been with me and walked with me and my fathers and cared for me all of my life and all the generations of my family's life. This God bless you, my grandsons. This God and no other bless you. And also he prays that they might carry forward the name Israel. As he says, in them... Let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude. They carry forward the name Israel, the name of my fathers. Let them grow into a multitude. It's a reference to that great Abrahamic covenant promise which God had been making to the generations of Jacob's family as far back as Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, as God says to the people of God, I will be your God and bless you to a multitude of generations. Do you remember God took Abraham out into the night sky before he had any descendants and said, Abraham, look to the heavens in Genesis 15. If you're able to number the stars, so shall your offspring be. Before Abraham had any children, and here now four generations later, the continued fulfillment of the promises of a faithful God as Ephraim and Manasseh stand before Jacob. This is the great covenant promise of God. The promise of land and seed and blessing that future generations might know the promises and blessings of God in accord with His covenant. That's why we've called this Generations of Grace. Because it is God's intent through His covenant promises to be gracious to one generation, after the next, after the next, with unchanging, endless promises to every successive changing generation, His unchanging grace to each successive generation. This is the story of the patriarchs. The story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now transitioning to the story of the people of God, the nation of Israel, who will then give rise to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the people of God. But this is God's story. 
the story of the people of God and how his covenant passes on from one generation to the next. So for this, I think there's two key points for us to take hold of and hang on to by way of application. One is historical and biblical, and the other is very practical. So if you haven't already seen that handout, grab that family tree and take a look at it and appreciate how the patriarch's family lineage moves from Abraham to the promised son Isaac to the promised son Jacob and then onward into Jacob's many sons. This is how the Bible tells the story in moving from the family of Abraham to the nation of Israel. How the story of redemption moves forward into what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. And interestingly, they are not all Jacob's direct sons. That's what's happening here in Genesis 48. Ten of them are, but two of them aren't. And the two that aren't are Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, that Jacob has effectively covenantally adopted to say, you, my grandsons, will now become inheritors of the promise as if you were of this generation of my varied sons. So, here are the adopted children now as sons, included as co-heirs of the promises of God. So what happens here is that Joseph's inheritance is essentially divided into his two sons. And later on in the scriptures, we learn that Levi has no land inheritance. So who are the 12 tribes? You can look at them straight across the page. Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Manasseh, Ephraim, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is not included because his sons get his portion. Levi is not included because he is a priestly caste and his inheritance is the Lord, not a particular land. And these, listen, these might just be names to you. These names might roll past you at 100 miles an hour with no significance whatsoever. But the point is, is that these names are the names are the tribes of Israel that make up the people of God, the same people who will soon be enslaved in Egypt, whom God will deliver from Egypt by way of Moses, delivering them from slavery, parting the Red Sea, leading them into the promised land. This event is preparing the way for the next great epic of the story of God's salvation. This is what's happening here. So biblically and historically, this is the significance of this. But I also want you to think about it very practically as it relates to your family, as it relates to the families of this congregation. And the point is this, that what we want is to ask the Lord to bless the next generation. We want to ask God to bless our children, to bless our grandchildren, we want to see the blessing of God go forward into the generations. So consider how, in the book of Deuteronomy, go forward with me now into Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is saying through Moses to the tribes of Israel, now a great multitude of people, numbered in the millions, what began 
as the family of Abraham now, the multitude, the millions of the tribes of Israel, Moses is saying to them now in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers, the promise to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Look at verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generation and repays to their face those who hate Him. What is Moses saying? Moses is saying to the people of God, this is your God. And every successive generation of this family must know that this God is your God. To tell our children the story of God's salvation to tell our grandchildren the story of God's salvation, to tell our nieces and nephews the story of God's salvation, to tell those who are our covenant children, not by blood relation, but by birthright of the family of God, the children of the church, to say this is the story of God's salvation. I want you to consider this, and I've been thinking about this very significantly for the last week especially. Think about your life. Think about your life. Think about the blessings that you have enjoyed in your life. And be aware that the blessings which you have enjoyed have, yes, been tethered to the faithfulness of God. That is an absolute fact. The blessings that you have enjoyed are tethered to the faithfulness of God. But consider also that the blessings that you have enjoyed are tethered to the faithfulness of the generations that have preceded you and prayed for you before you were even born. And they planted seeds by way of their prayers that God has brought to fruit in your life. Because that's what God does as He promises to each successive generation that as I was their faithful God and heard their prayers, so I will be the faithful God of your children and your grandchildren to a thousand generations, the Bible says. Your nieces and your nephews, your grandchildren and onward, your children, I will be their God. Your parents, your grandparents, they prayed for you, sowing seeds that God's promises brought forth fruit. And so you should pray for the future generations of your family. Generations that don't even exist yet. Generations that you can't even conceive of. As Abraham was over a hundred years old before he had any children. To say, Lord, be the God of my children to a thousand generations. Be the God of my family to a thousand generations. To my nieces and to my nephews, be their God. 
I wonder sometimes in my life personally that many of the things that have come into my life by way of God's blessings were because of my faithful grandparents praying for me. And it's a remarkable thing. So we should bless and pray for the next generation that they would learn with faith and obedience to take our God to be their God, to receive the promises that we have walked in faith believing in, and they would walk in faith believing in them as well. Friends, the greatest inheritance that you can give to the next generation is not financial. It's spiritual. It's the inheritance of a God and a covenant that they must learn to embrace. The covenant says, trust and obey this God and know His blessings. So set your hands upon your children. Set your hands upon your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews and say, your father's God, your mother's God, bless you. As I have known His blessing, so may He bless you. And as we see that happen, we will watch God's promises come to pass and we will praise Him. And we will say as Jacob did, I never imagined to see what I see now because of God's faithfulness. Let's pray. Great God, we thank You for Your mercy and kindness in the story of Your salvation in the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We pray, Lord, that we would take home to our own hearts these truths and seal to our confident faith Your great and faithful covenant promises. Lord, bless us to a thousand generations, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.